Now, in the continuation of the discussion of power, I want to talk about the kingdom of heaven in particular. In the last message, we focused on the constitution of power, and we used as the primary example, uh, beginning with the notion of sovereignty, how that works within the familiar concept of the United States and its constitution of power. Now, in going forward, in looking at this as it relates to the kingdom of heaven, again, the first question is sovereignty. That is, what is the source of the authority to govern? By comparison, and only in passing, I'll I'll recall that we said that in the United States, sovereignty is said to be in the people, the people possessing the greatest bundle of rights. By comparison, but of course it stands on its own, without comparison, stands on its own incomparably. The kingdom of heaven, the power by which the kingdom of heaven has been established, Jesus described it in such fashion as this. As he gave the great commission to his disciples at the end of the Gospels, in one form or another, he said, uh, Matthew 28, 18, to be the more specific and, and exact reference, said, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go you therefore. The question is, who gave him this power? Well, the one who had it to give, which is the Father. And that power was spoken of, and the distribution of that power spoken of in different locations in the Gospels. Beginning with the commissioning of Jesus at the baptism of John, where he is anointed as king, pursuant to the prophetic reference of the second psalm, I have anointed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Pursuant to that reference, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. Previous kings, and specifically biblical kings, and even more specifically, uh, the kings among in the nation of Israel, from its inception, The kings were anointed by oil. Oil was a type and a shadow of the Holy Spirit to to present a different economy. There is an economy that is by the sweat of your brow, which has been in place since Adam. Because when Adam separated himself from the place of representing his father, from the position of representing God in creation, his economy came to be, his support for being came to be uh, the sweat of his brow. But when divine uh, repositioning occurred, and that at the baptism of Jesus by John in the River Jordan, when that occurred, a new commissioning accompanied by the requisite anointing was poured out 
on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there, he was not anointed by a symbol of the Holy Spirit, oil. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit himself. And the voice of God, the Father, speaking out of the heavens, said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. So the Son of God arose where the Son of Mary was buried. Baptism being a type and shadow of burial, according to Romans 6. Now, as he came up, the Son of God was introduced to the world. And God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Later on the mountain of transfiguration, where Jesus appeared in the company of Moses and Elijah, uh, and the disciples were present, uh, some of the disciples were present, Peter, James, and John. Uh, Peter, in his enthusiastic outburst, being amazed that he was allowed to witness such a transcendent sight, said, well, the three must be equal. Let's make three booths for worship on this mountain. We'll make one for you. We'll make one for Moses. We'll make one for Elijah. Moses, of course, representing the law. Elijah representing the prophets. But they were both taken away. And Jesus stood alone and unrivaled in his sovereign excellence. And God again spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. If you take these events within the context of the prophetic psalm, the second psalm, where the coronation of Jesus on the earth is spoken to, it begins with the with the quote, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? And the kings of the earth and their rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed one, saying, let us break, let us cast aside our shackles and break the bands and restraints. He that sits in the heavens will laugh. He'll mock them in derision. And then he'll say to them, Kiss the king. No, you say to them, I have, I have set my anointed one on Zion, my holy hill. And you'd better swear loyalty to him. Kiss, kiss the king, lest he be angry at you and you perish in the way. And then the exchange between Jesus and the father that follows, in which the newly anointed king says, I will obey the decrees of the Lord. In other words, my administration will be to be unwavering in my pursuit of the righteousness of God and of the demonstration of his divine nature. And to that end, God then responded by saying, then you're my son. Today I've begotten you. Today I've become your father. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. Ask of me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth for your possession. So yes, his authority, when he claimed, I have all authority in heaven and on earth, he's laying a legitimate claim to that which was spoken of as the very reason for which he came into the world. Interestingly, this is the settling authority of his kingdom. 
This is his constitution of power. And you will note that he does not solicit the patronage of any human being. He doesn't rule by the consent of the governed. The governed are governed. They're not the sovereign. He is the sovereign, established by the power that created the world, the power that created man, humankind. There is no appeal from his rule. There can only be obedience to his rule. This is absolute monarchy with no wiggle room. You can decide whether or not you believe, but you don't have the prerogative to decide what you believe. I was, I was watching the other day, uh, or oh, I just saw a news piece the other day in which this actor, I think it's the actor Joaquin Phoenix, whom I enjoyed in the movie Gladiator playing the role of Commodus to uh, Russell Crowe's uh, uh, Maximus. Um, but as is true of Hollywood, people get to the place where they think that they are the roles they play. And they assume, they assume a certain magnanimity um, that is entirely self-imported. He's, I, it was a piece about how he uh, was portraying, uh, he was acting as if he were Jesus in a film, and uh, he couldn't put um, mud on the eyes of, he couldn't spit on the ground, as the record says, Jesus spat on the ground, made a clay, and anointed the eyes of a blind man, and then told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, and he'd receive his sight. And Joaquin Phoenix said he couldn't, he couldn't do that. So, because that was too debasing to the human, to the human subject. So, instead, he just rubbed the fellow's eyes, and I just smiled. The the absolute ignorance of Hollywood actors interpreting scripture, mind-boggling. You know what Jesus was doing, and this is a digression. You know what Jesus was doing there. He was showing the man the condition of humanity, that we are doubly blind. Why would you put clay on the eyes of a blind man when the very application of clay is to imply, is to put another layer of of blindness on, another layer of opaque over the already blind eyes? What is clay? Clay is the reference to humanity out of the dust of the ground. He was shaped out of clay. Man was. So Jesus is, in applying the clay, he's telling him, you're, blind by your, you're blinded to eternal truths by your humanity. You see things only from the point of view of the created world. But in addition to that, you are already blind, spiritually, because you don't know who I am. You're representative of a people who have lost their purpose and their destiny in the earth. Now, I want you to go 
to the pool of Siloam and wash. Why Siloam? Because the word Siloam means the sent one. The sent one. And wash, what does that mean? Wash by the water of the word. So he's sending him in type and shadow. He's saying, go and bathe yourself in the word of a sent one, of the sent one, meaning me. And you will not only see, but you will see. You'll see creation through the lenses of the eternal, which is your whole point of being here. But Joaquin Phoenix couldn't put clay on the man's eyes in the movie because of course he's ignorant of these things. Why do we go to Hollywood for our understanding of divine truth? We deserve what we get when we go. They're just actors, players of roles, not people with any understanding of divine things. Now, that digression was meant to illustrate the dual level of power that Jesus has and that he got this power and the source of authority from God. God constructed creation with the knowledge that man would need to be redeemed. So he created two levels of power in creation. One that could reach the soul, and once the soul is reached, because that's where the work of transformation begins. That's your contact. When you're blind, your contact with God is through your human circumstances. But that's not where he means to leave you. He wishes to elevate you back to the true nature of the purpose for which creation itself exists, which is to reveal the nature of the invisible God. So he set up creation to aid in the redemption of man. So that when power is demonstrated, typically the form of power demonstrated there is to arrest man in his present state of departure from God. But that, but then once, once he is introduced to sovereign power, divine authority, the hope is that he will be then drawn to the revelation of the nature of God, which in turn resets his existence in the earth. In turn, he can understand who he is, and, and here I speak generically of human beings with the pronoun he, who he is, so that he might understand the two most pressing issues attending every human being, which is our identity, who am I, and what is my purpose. Identity can only be understood in context of relationship. And purpose can only be pursued in context of power. 
identity and purpose. These two things are at the core of every human search. And we will, we will work in, through, and around these two poles, whether we know that that's what we're doing or not. You know, the funny thing about not knowing what we're doing is if someone knows what you're doing and you don't know what, why you're doing what you're doing or even what you're doing, they can control you every time because they have the advantage. So it behooves us all, don't you think, to know. What do you think is the purpose of these messages? To open the eyes of your understanding, that you might know. Here is what, how Paul put it. I want to read from Ephesians. Speaking to believers, he says this, I do not cease, this is from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. Pay close attention. In fact, it would be worth your while to, on your own time, to take out and read this passage again. It is so pregnant with the very things I'm trying to communicate. Paul says, I do not, Ephesians 1, 16, and I'll be reading to, through verse 22. I do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, God worked in Christ, when he raised Christ from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So when I speak of the kingdom of God and the culture of the kingdom and your inheritance, the power by which you are to act, I'm defining this power as operating on two levels. One is to to reacquaint you with the nature of God and to invite you back into a relationship with God from which position then you can explore accurately the issues of your identity and your purpose. 
which is a discussion of the nature of being. Now, in that connection, and because Jesus has claimed to have all authority in heaven and on earth, it means that no one else has any authority. Because he's talking about a kind of power that is described in in the Greek with the word kratos, K-R-A-T-O-S, kratos. In modern juridical parlance, we speak of this as plenary, plenary power. We get terms like delegated authority from that. Uh, Plenipotentate or plenipotentiary, which means that one is the projector of the power of another. So where you have uh, plenary power, the kratos, Greek term kratos, manifested power, the sovereignty of all power. When you have that, and Jesus claims that, I have all authority. No one else can also be uh, plenary. No one else can have original authority. This is authority that springs up from a divine source. Now, this authority is claimed over the realms of heaven and earth, which means that the greater realm defines the scope of the power. So if if power exists within context of a kingdom, the greater realm defines the kingdom. In comparison to earth, where heaven is the comparison, heaven and earth, heaven is the greater realm. The greater realm assumes the lesser realm because the lesser realm is subsumed in the greater. It's all that the lesser is and more. So earth is all that heaven is, is, earth is less than heaven. Heaven is all that earth is and more. Right? So the greater, the lesser rather, is subsumed in the greater. Therefore, it would not do to refer to the kingdom as the kingdom of earth. You must refer to it from the greater realm. It's the, it's the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, the throne, the symbol of this authority, must remain in heaven until the time when heaven and earth merge into one. That's when the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. The seat of power comes into the earth. Now, when you have all authority, plenary authority, No one else having any authority as compared to you, you are the sovereign. So when Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth, it means I am the sovereign of heaven and earth. So everything within the domains of heaven and earth are subject to the authority of Christ. Everything within the domain of heaven is inclusive of those who have departed, who once were on the earth, who are now in heaven, but also includes the angelic and all of the realms of heaven. There are three heavens. There's the visible heaven that 
contains the, the planets, that's subject to the authority of the throne of God. He moves the stars according to his purpose to show signs, times, seasons, and years as one example of his control of the heavens. The other domain within the heavens is the realm of the demonic, spiritual forces of evil within the heavenly realms. They are subject to the throne of God, which is in the highest heavens. The highest heavens contains the throne of God. Again, it's easy enough to, for the soul to envision a domesticated, a domestic view of these things. Paul said, when I was a child, I thought as a child. I, acted as a, I understood as a child and I acted as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When you're understanding the realm of heaven, you cannot understand heaven from the mindset of a child. So if you think of heaven as a place where there is a throne on which someone is seated, that's a, a human picturing of that. And even if God were to take one into heaven, he would manifest uh, the, the, the secrets of heaven in a way that the human could understand, especially if the intent is to convey that to humans. But Paul said, he saw in heaven things too wonderful to comprehend. That is, things that could not be put in the language of human communication. So a throne in heaven may or may not be a seat, but what it certainly is, is the center of rule for the kingdom of heaven. And angels bow before the sovereign majesty of heaven. And the departed, those who have lived on this earth in obedience to Christ, bow to the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these are indications of divine, unrivaled, unexcelled power, plenary. As it relates to that form of power, the one who has it is curios. Curios, the word for Lord. And everyone who takes power from that is a delegate. He's a plenary potentiary. He's the potential of the plenary power coming into the earth. That is what a delegate is. He's a plenipotentiary or plenipotentate. A potentate is one who potentially possesses. But that's subject to whether or not the demonstration is legitimately a carrying out of the power of the other. And in the carrying out of that power, it has to serve his purpose, and the one functioning like him has to be in fact like him, to look like him in his behavior and in his, in his conduct. In that... In his sovereign power, he is the arche, A-R-C-H-E, which means he's the majesty of heaven and earth. All authority is given to me, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth. I want to distinguish between uh, the dunamis of his power 
and the exousia of his authority the next time we talk. So until then, I'll see you. I'm Sam Solon. Bye-bye.